All right, well, we're kind of in a little two-week mini-series before we take off in our fall series. And uh, what uh, I've been doing is really just trying to share with you a little bit of the uh, values, the vision behind what we're doing here at Incline Church. And so today's a little bit of a different message because I want you to really see the heartbeat for why uh, I believe God's called me to this role as a church planner and what I believe and pray that God will make the heartbeat of this gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, for me, I'd say I'm going to take you way back to 1980s, in the early 80s. I remember it was uh, pretty clearly because uh, we would watch on Sunday evening, if we didn't have an evening church service, we'd watch in the afternoon the Denver Broncos. Of course, they had a young quarterback who people were skeptical of, John Elway at the time. And I remember during one of the Bronco games that uh, this advertisement came on for the Sunday night movie of the week. Um, and uh, NBC was putting on a movie by the name of Adam. And it was a pretty groundbreaking movie, it uh, turns out, because in this little preview, the reason it probably sticks in my mind is they show this little kid in the mall looking around, and then he can't find his parents, and then he's gone missing. And uh, this movie was designed to uh, talk about the impact of missing kids and protecting kids and trying to improve our country's um, child protection. And so uh, within that, they uh, even had President Ronald Reagan came on afterwards and, and gave a message. Now, I was never allowed to. I never watched that. Thank goodness my parents didn't let me because I was re-looking. I remember the preview, but I don't remember what happened during the actual thing because I never saw it. But all, all I remembered is then you saw from this, this kid gone missing, and then you saw a line of adults and people walking through the woods, holding hands, calling out, Adam, Adam, looking for him with flashlights, making a huge line across this little town trying to find this kid. They were desperate. They were desperate to find the lost boy. Now, if you've been wa watching and following along in the news at all recently, then you know of the soccer team in Thailand that went into this cave and they tried to explore it with their coach. Twelve boys and the coach, 13 of them went in. And they went in about 2.5 miles and then a monsoon rain came. And you can see it began to fill up these parts in the tunnel and they got stuck on what became a little island. And people began to look, their parents wondered where they were and they were desperate trying to find them. Finally, they discovered what? They discovered they're alive down there. How are we going to get them out? How are we even going to get supplies to them? They couldn't dig down to them. Uh, there was a risk with everything involved in this operation. If another monsoon came while somebody was in the tunnel, they would be killed trying to rescue them. The passageways were narrow, and as they came to find out in that culture, a lot of kids aren't taught to swim because they don't want them swimming because they're afraid they'll drown. So if they don't teach them to swim, they think they'll be too scared of the water to try it. So they're stuck under there. Many of them can't swim. They don't have food. And this ordeal we know lasted 18 days, but they began to get and find, and they were so desperate. They were trying to make plans, and, and people were bringing in all the best. The military, the U.S. began to help, even uh, Elon Musk, one of the millionaires in the world, said, hey, maybe I have some inventions that can help you get these boys out. And see, the challenge was not only did you need to get back 
to the boys, but you needed to be able to get them out, and it was so narrow if you bumped their head or if they panicked, none of them had ever been in scuba gear. And so how are they going to go about doing this? They began to put together a plan, and they announced that the plan was being formed, and all of a sudden, what happened? Well, the world had caught on by now, and we became expectant. There's hope. Maybe they can do this. And uh, their plan was to get food into them, first of all, through some uh, professional scuba divers, some military-grade divers. They would get back and get food, and then in these little gaps, they would set up extra air tanks. And they devised this little stretcher that they would wrap the boys in, and they would give them an anti-anxiety medicine so they wouldn't freak out in the mask. And they gave that to the boys, and then they would strap one at a time and pull them through and switch divers. And they began to move towards this plan. And as they did so, uh, in one of the articles, uh, the man in charge uh, for the U.S., Major Charles Hodges, said, uh, the probability of success was as low as you can get, but we had to move now or risk losing all of them. He said, I was fully expecting that we would lose and accept casualties of three, four, possibly five of them would die. Well, sure enough, they made it in there, and they were able to weave through, and they knew that even if they swam in this completely darkened water with no light, and they just bumped a boy and his mask came off, their health was so fragile they would lose him. But one by one, the rescue team made it in, the wains were withheld, and they began to pull the boys over a series of days out of the caves. And finally the coach, and then finally the last divers themselves made it out. The whole world was watching, riveted by this. And when we have these situations of search and rescue, there, there becomes this atmosphere of desperation, right? We've got to save them. We've got to find them. We've got to discover where they're at or where this missing person or young lady is at. We see it in the headlines. We get amber alerts. And then when some clues start to be found or some plan is made for a rescue, we become expectant and say, maybe this situation is going to be resolved. Maybe there, there is actually hope here. Why is that? It's ingrained in us, it doesn't matter the culture, ingrained in us is a value for human life. This desire that no, whether we know we're all going to die, but we want to rescue and give somebody one more moment, one more chance, one more breath, one more glimmer of hope. So much so that budget doesn't become an issue. <laughs> Countries all of a sudden are working together as one team. Because that's, we understand there's something more than skin and bones and organs inside a person. There's something more, and I would call that a soul. But the world knows it. We know there's value. And I can remember that as I even looked at that, and there have been times in my life where I began to understand that value of life as you grow. And for me, it was in that same time period where I uh, have shared this, but my story began, and I began to understand there's a being in church, we brought home a, a film, actually on a reel, and showed it in our living room. My dad was previewing it, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and it's this wonderful allegory of the Christian faith, written by uh, 
uh, John Bunyan and while he was in prison. And so each character represents the journey. And this guy Pilgrim, he, he just knows there's some value to human life. And he's like, I've got to find this celestial city. There's more than just right now in this life. And, but I've got to get rid of this burden on my back. It's keeping me from where I need to go. And he would plead with people, come with me. And they're like, ah, we're fine how we are. And finally, as that story goes on, he gets to a hill and sees a man dying on a cross. And it hits him that that's his burden, and it's being paid for. And the burden, the knapsack rolled down the hill is a visible picture of his forgiveness of his sins and his salvation. And, and that struck me, and I asked my dad about it, and he, he shared, and he'd shared it before, but this time it kind of clicked. He shared the gospel with me, and I, I talked to the Lord and trusted him with my life. I was rescued that day. And... As I was rescued, I, I remember just through my own story, there would just be times in my life where I'd look around and just be, whether it's a, in an airport or a sporting event, and just be like, these people are all eternal. And then I'd move on, kind of move on with my life. And when I began even teaching in this room, I remember God weighing on me. There's some kids that just came in with problems that I couldn't, fix legally <laughs> and tell them what I wanted to tell them. And so he moved me into the basketball ministry where I could really begin to share the gospel in this burden. They, even last year, as Randy, uh, we went and we worked at the Bronco game. I remember one of them, I looked up and it was like 75,000 people and it's like, wow, wonder how many of these people have ever heard the gospel. And it's not like I've had that desperation all the time, but God has built it in me and it's ingrained it in me, this understanding, and it's pushed me more and more towards ministries because there are people out there that God has given us the commission to share this message, this rescue with. And the greatest rescue mission of all time is when Jesus was sent from heaven, his throne, down to us. And then he said, you now are rescuers on my behalf. You're going to carry that gospel forward, that light to the world. And in that is the sense of desperation, but then there's a sense of expectation that we know that it's not my skill, my eloquency that saves people. It's my obedience that I get to be a part of God's plan. And in that there's expectancy because I know that God has people who are ready to respond to the gospel. So my confidence isn't in myself or in ourselves or in how well we do this. But it's in this message of hope that we get to carry to the world. And so as we look at that today, I want us to really begin to dig into what does it look like to be a church that has that desperation. I want you to ask yourself this morning, who do you know personally that your heart is heavy for because they need to come to the Lord or maybe they need to return to the gospel or return to Christ. They're far from God. Who do you know that's just living life and, and that really they're lost, that they don't even think about the fact that one day it'll end. It's just as good as it's going to get right now. And then beyond that, think of the people you don't know that need to know the gospel. How does that weigh on your heart? Does it at all? Do you ever feel that sense of desperation or need or burden to get the gospel 
out. And then, on the, as that desperation builds, do you have a sense of expectancy that God is big <laughs> and his message, the gospel, is powerful and it can change lives? Do we really believe that's true or are we becoming cynical because of what's happening in the world around us? Well, this morning I want us to look and, and to dig into this idea that if we've been rescued, then we are now rescuers. And what does that look like and what, what is that shaped like? Well, here at Incline Church, we want to be a part of God's rescue mission by intentionally investing in people. And really, it's a lie that we don't have anything to offer, that only the pastor can do this. Each and every one of you is equipped. And so we've kind of come up with four ways to get you on that path in realizing, taking confidence that you can do this. The first thing you can do is, is that desperation, is praying. Do you have people that you specifically are pleading to God for and interceding for uh, that you can interact with? by name, just saying, Lord, bring, draw this person to you. You see, it doesn't stop with praying because as we pray and we get desperate for the Lord to act and move, then we watch. We say, Lord, show me the opportunities, whether it's to do an act of kindness or, or to say a kind word or, or maybe it's to begin to share your story or the gospel. But you watch for opportunities. You're expecting that God is going to answer that prayer and that there's going to be a moment that you can step into and begin to interact with this person and share. Or maybe it's just people that you haven't even met yet, that God, you have more of an awareness of your duty as a rescuer. And then as you're praying and watching, we want to connect in relationship. And we'll dig into this more in another series, but the idea is that all of life, everyone has rhythms, especially in our culture. We, we have celebrations. That's a great way to connect to people. Is invite them to a celebration, barbecue or a uh, graduation or a birthday party. Uh, we love to celebrate together, and that means that we what? We love to eat together. A lot of people enjoy eating together, getting together for coffee. That's another natural way to connect with people, and we love to recreate. We have different things. You might be a hiker, a biker, or or have some niche that you're in, well, go and recreate with people who are far from God. These are natural ways God has given us to connect in relationship with one another. And if you have kids, there's some natural connections there with other parents and other families uh, through the different activities you do. So there are natural ways we can begin to show people we care about them and connect in relationship and begin to hear their story. Not because we want to do a bait and switch, but because we love Christ that much and he's called us to love others. And for some, it may be that they're not ready to talk with you, but they might be ready to say, come to our gospel community. Uh, come to, we have to study the Bible at our house or over at our friend's house. You're welcome to come and just explore, uh, ask questions. They may not be ready for a church. Or maybe inviting them to this gathering, knowing that the gospel is shared, the word is taught. Or maybe inviting them to something like Party in the Park where you know there are other believers there ready and expecting God to move, ready to share the Gospels we're able, ready to show it in our unity and our love for the community. 
So it might be a come and see that we see throughout the Gospels. It's like, hey, come and see what Jesus is all about. Come and see what this community is all about. And then finally, share your story and God's story. Now, I love this because if you don't know, our culture is changing a little bit. But I love studying how the gospel never changes. And we're going to talk about the gospel in a moment. But the gospel message of who Jesus is, why he came, how we are to respond, is unchanging truth. And yet how we approach the gospel is different. If uh, you've ever been a missionary, we know missionaries go in and try and learn the culture. Paul did that, and he said, well, hey, you all worship this one God. I want to tell you today who that God is. And about his son, Jesus Christ. And you begin to connect with people. And so we want to do that. And I know that uh, in the 50s, people, a lot of people went to church. And so they might have called it the hellfire and brimstone, the preaching of come to Jesus, because people were there in front of you. And then it moved towards, we had some great tools produce the four spiritual laws. Okay, the, the wordless book where you use colors to talk about it. And, and the is, main issue there during the 80s and the 70s was we need people to realize that good works doesn't save you, but we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, therefore we need God. This sin was a language we could use. And we moved into postmodern times in the 90s, early 2000s, and the big issue was what is truth? Is there truth? Well, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. We had to work from that. And now we're in a time where we're moving to post-Christian culture. I believe we're there. Some say we're getting there. But it's where, if you took a test, the biblical literacy of just in general of our nation, of what Bible stories are, if I referred to Jonah, people would be like, what are you talking about? Um, in general... Our culture isn't as exposed to what the Bible says. And so we've got to have a different starting point. And even as believers, I, over the years I've seen more and more, I ask the question, what is the gospel? How do you share the gospel? And I either get a blank stare or just some general statements, but no confidence behind what is the story of the gospel? And so this morning, I want to share with you kind of a, a way we can begin to connect and you can be equipped to share your faith. So there's one thing I wanted to do while planting a church and make sure we did is to take time and stop and not assume people know the gospel, but to give you the tools you need to fulfill the mission God's called you to. And it's going to look different for each of you. But young or old... You can carry that message and be ready to share it as God allows. And the, the reality is that many believers haven't even pursued being equipped for this. We've gotten comfortable with our programs and our processes. And so as we look at this today, I want us to look in the concept of story. Story is one of the most powerful things God has given us. Um, everywhere on earth, no matter how advanced the civilization or the time period story has been at the center. People are always drawn to well-told stories, great films, novels, folk tales, family histories that have been passed on are all stories. Even when you are talking to somebody and sharing about how you're weak with, you're telling a story. So can we tell God's story? 
And God's story has a beginning. And, and so we don't start with sin anymore. But what we do start with is God's design. God's story. You know, in Genesis it says, We know that God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, it is good. Then he designed male and female human beings in his image. Unlike any other part of creation, he designed us in his image. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you and with me. That's how we were designed. And the world was designed, it was going well. Things were good. And yet, if you know anything about relationships, I was at a wedding last night, it was beautiful. But as much as that boy pursued that girl, he could not get her to love him. She had to make that choice to love him. And he had to choose to love her back. They chose to commit to one another. And so being created in the image of God, he's given us all of these things that are in his likeness, the ability to create, to think above any of the other creation. And yet he also gave us the freedom to choose. Because he wants a relationship with us and he knows that the freedom to choose means it's that freedom to choose to love him or not love him, the perfect, holy, amazing God. And in that freedom to choose, Adam and Eve, the first human beings, made a choice. They believed a lie that they could become like God or above God, that God was holding back the good things of this world from them. When in actuality, he'd given them the best thing, which is himself. And so they went against his rules and his holiness, and they sinned. And brokenness entered the world. And sin is simply going against the will of God and his character. He is holy and perfect, and he can't be in relationship with us if we choose to reject him. And so in the midst of that, we ended up with brokenness. And this is where we can connect to anybody. We all feel brokenness. We feel brokenness, and I've shared this in the few times I've been able to share the gospel over the last year or two and share this. It's, we see it around. We, we see it in the person dying from a disease that frustrates us. We, we see it in our creation that groans and longs for God's coming with these natural disasters that happen. Something's not right in the world. And then we, we try and fix it with laws, but evil still happens. It's happened throughout all time, people hurting other people. And, and we know that it's bad when we kill one another, and yet we, we tend to hurt one another with our words and with tearing people down by the way they look, or the way they act, or the color of their skin, taking advantage of people. Brokenness is around us, and we know, if we're honest, brokenness is in me. I am broken. And because we're broken, we all fall short of the glory of God and can't have that relationship with him. And these little arrows, if you draw these circles and you're sharing the gospel, these arrows are, man, we've tried to fix brokenness in so many different ways, haven't we? Tried to fix it with good works, but we just can't seem to do good enough to make this world better. Tried to do it with money or, or possessions, and yet at the end of it, we still see people who are empty inside, broken the epidemic of suicide is growing exponentially in our culture. And it's among the people who the world tells us have it all that we see these things happening. 
So our pursuits, we pursue relationships, but no per one person is perfect enough to satisfy that need inside of me. And I let other people down. These pursuits don't work. So I want to share with you what I've found is the only hope in the midst of this brokenness. It's just what the conclusion I've come to that I've seen, but I'd love to share it with you, and maybe you can find hope in it too. And that hope is the gospel. Well, the gospel is about a man, Jesus Christ. It tells us that God saw this situation and immediately he said, I want to restore a relationship with you. And for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus came, born a man, lived a perfect life, never sinned, never made a choice against God. And then he was falsely accused and he was put on a cross. And he died on that cross for our sins. Taking the weight of all the brokenness in the world on himself. And saying, I will make that payment. I will atone through my blood for the sins of the world. And he was killed on the cross. And the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath that I deserved because of my sin, was taken on Jesus Christ. He bore it. But see, the story doesn't end there. Even history tells us that Jesus walked the earth. We know what he said more than we know of any other historical figure. The documentation is there. We know what he claimed about himself. He claimed to be the Son of Man. He said he was going to die and then Three days later, he would be built back up. And sure enough, his disciples scattered. They're scared to death. Three days later, the tomb was found empty. The Roman soldiers didn't know what to do. Stories were being made up, but Jesus had risen from the dead. He is alive. If he's not alive, everything we're gathering here today for, everything I believe is worthless. But if this man came and actually conquered death, then maybe there's hope in the midst of brokenness. The one broken thing that none of us could do. Science has tried to prolong life. But he did it. He rose again. He says that if you believe in me, if you confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you believe that in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. And the gospel is something that demands a response. You have to decide how you're going to handle this man, Jesus Christ. Personally, I believe he is who he said he was. You can't let him be a good teacher. He didn't allow for that. Now, you can say he was crazy, but you can't just slough him off as some character in history. And that response that the Bible calls us to, that the Word of God tells us, is repentance and belief. Repentance is this idea that we're going our own way. Forget you, God, and we're going to do a 180 and say, Lord, what is your design? I want a relationship with you. I love you. I want to learn how you've called me to live. And belief is understanding that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died and he rose again, and that you have eternal life if you trust in him. If you turn towards God, repent and believe, then you will have everlasting life. But you see, it doesn't stop there, does it? 
That's the moment you come in across that line of faith into the kingdom of heaven. If you're ever sharing with somebody, don't be afraid to say, is there anything right now that is keeping you from taking that step of faith? And they may share something, and you may, okay, say, hey, let's work through that together. I'll take as much time as we need. But present that to them, share it with them. But see, the gospel doesn't end there because our lives continue on. We have a mission, and God continues to work. Now, I love this last piece of, of this way of explaining the gospel. It's recover and pursue. And so in you, we understand the beauty of humans, the beauty of women and men, male and female. And we want this identity in our children to be confident, to know they are loved, and recovery is it's the Holy Spirit works in us. We grow and we build up one another. It's the idea that we're becoming more and more the image of Jesus Christ. We're discovering more and more of the beauty of how he created us and how we are like him and how we will be with him forever. And as he transforms us, that's a witness to the world. See, our attitudes, our hearts change and that fruit of the Spirit flow from us. But then we pursue if you love someone, you pursue them. You pursue a relationship. And that pursue has two meanings for me. It's one, I pursue Christ now. He came and pursued me on the cross when I could do nothing to gain his favor. And yet, do I love Jesus enough to pursue him, to, to get in his word, to use my gifts to build up others in the body of Christ? We're pursuing him together. And it's a relationship. It's not pursuing good works as we are saved by faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. So are you pursuing God? And then are we aligned with the heart of God in pursuing those who are also far from God? And that's, this is our plan of pursuit, lining up with the heart of the Lord. Why, why, why east side? Why would we plant a church? And well, as I began to look at that and think about that, I thought there's so many people missing out on the greatest joy. In Luke 15, we get these three stories. Uh, the famous one of the prodigal son returning home after rejecting his father, taking in his inheritance and squandering it. The father runs to his son against all cultural norms and hugs him and says, you're back, Welcome. And we have the lost coin and the lost sheep. And they said, you go and you look for that coin. And when you find it, you celebrate with your neighbors. And he says, I tell you, there are more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over a hundred who are righteous or who think they're righteous. We want to experience that joy. That joy of seeing our young ones come to know the Lord or seeing people who are far from the Lord or disconnected or, or disenfranchised from the church come back. That's why we're here. So, well, why the east side? A lot of people think Colorado Springs is a, a pretty great place to come, and we have a lot of great churches, and we do. But the state of Colorado in 2015, when I was looking into this, we ranked um, in the bottom 10 for attendance, according to uh, the Gallup poll uh, posted, I think it was in a New York Times article. And then Barna, a Christian surveyor, said... Um, they, they use 15 indicators to determine if a city is post-Christian. And in the whole U.S., Colorado Springs was 35th. So not the worst, but definitely in need. 
And what about where we're at right here? Well, we can look and we see that um, 11% of people that are in this region, I think from Constitution up to Woodman, between Powers and Mark Scheffel, we were able to pull that study out. Uh, 11% of people say their face important to them. 17%, only 17% value attending any kind of religious gathering at all across the board, any religion. And so we have a mission field right around us. Our whole city is a mission field, your workplace, your schools. But there's a need, and this burden began to build on Rachel and I's heart, and that's what drew us towards this area and the fact that um, just with land, there are very few established churches or churches have a hard time getting rooted here. And so we felt God put a desperation for our hearts for this area and for the people in this area. And this morning, what I want you to know this is if you come to Incline or you invite someone to Incline, this is what we want to see. This is our, our target. We want people to be loved with that gospel love of Jesus and welcomed, not seen as a number or a seat. We want you to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We want you to look back and say, uh, look back a year ago and say, man, God has worked in these areas in my life and look forward and say, I'm looking forward to God helping me grow in this area. Be able to invite somebody into your life and say, I need to grow as a husband. I see you've been doing it for 30 years. Can you help me? And so we want you to be equipped. And equipped isn't just with knowledge but with tools to put your knowledge into action, both in your lives or as parents as you pour into your kids, or equipped with tools like, how do I handle this hostile environment and, and work or and share my faith? What does that look like? How do I use my gifts? You've all been given gifts to build up the other people in this local church. We'd love to connect you with that because you have something to offer from the youngest to the oldest if you know Christ then you have gifts to use. And we want you to be empowered, and this only comes through prayer. We can't just force it, but through prayer and reading the Word and obedience, the Holy Spirit works in and through us, and when He is on the move, it is like surfing. You just put your board in the wave and you ride it. I've had times where I've been in prison, and well, I, I thought I got the best message. I nailed it. People laughed at the right time at my jokes, and then it was silent. Then I remember one time, and uh, I put Randy on the spot. I think we were in Indiana at a state prison, and I had him share his testimony. And, man, they, they had weightlifting around, all these people. He shared his testimony and followed up with the gospel. It was loud. I was like, thought nothing came of it. And then these men, as our teammates went out, and they went and talked with men, these men were responding to the gospel. I was like, Lord, not about me. It's about obedience. Everything we thought, it was, it was just hard to talk or even get them to pay attention. But God moved. You may be the 10th person who shared the gospel and you get halfway through it and they're like, I'm ready. Or you may be the first person laying the groundwork for the next person God brings into their, their life. You never know. So we are excited about what God is doing. And so as I, I close, I just want to close with some prayers that we pulled out and why we chose the name Incline. Uh, from Daniel, uh, he prays for God 
to God for the city. Um, he was pleading. He, he had a desperation for their mercy. And then in Joshua, he was saying, you need to make the Lord the head of your house, the head of this nation once again. And if you're going to incline your heart to the Lord, you've got to put away these idols, these things that are more important to you than God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our need for you here on the east side. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, Lord, but because you are the Lord of great mercy. You are the Lord of great mercy. And I am the one in need of you most, Lord. I feel that burden. And when we feel the burden of our own need, our own brokenness, then we can come with humility to the world and say, this is just my story, and this is God's story. And Heavenly Father, we pray as Joshua prayed that if there are any idols in our lives, that we would put them to the side. Put Jesus at the center, and Lord, incline our hearts towards you. Grow us, change us, mold us, and shape us. But Lord, most of all, we're desperate. We want to see one more person in your kingdom. We want to see one more person coming back and getting involved with the family of God, even though they've been burnt, starting to trust. We want to see someone, even before the end of this year, step across that line of faith. We want a taste of that joy that's inexpressible when somebody comes to you, that joy of the angels just celebrating beyond any celebration or party we could throw because somebody has been rescued. Greater than the celebration they threw in Thailand when those boys were pulled out because it's an eternal rescue that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.